for Radio 1 91FM podcast. We're joined by Tony Satorius in the studio, who is direct, dir- the director of Helen Kelly Together, which is returning to cinemas around New Zealand after its success last year's New Zealand International Film Festival. It's playing at the Rialto Cinema tonight at 6pm afterwards. There'll be a 30-minute Q&A with Tony. Tony, how are you going? Good, Elliot. I'm going well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, so, obviously, the film follows Helen Kelly between 2015 and 2016, so the last year or so of her life. Yeah. Um, some of our listeners may have never heard of Helen Kelly, so yeah. could you tell us a bit about her, uh, why she was a significant figure? Yeah. Well, you know, I could give you the Wikipedia entry, but I yeah. think that probably the more important thing to say is that she was just a really great New Zealander, you know? She yeah. was very giving. And her particular focus was, I think, giving um, energy and hope and direction to people who needed to fight yeah, but had no idea how to do that and particularly around um, death at work mm. which was a uh, is a desperate situation in New Zealand and leaves many people with absolutely no closure and no justice. Yeah of course because she was known for her work with unions and um, yeah. advocating for workers rights. How did you get to know her? Uh, before her retirement uh, with, a, with a terminal illness uh, yeah. Helen was the president of the Council of Trade Unions, so she was the top unionist in the country. Um, I knew her from quite a long time earlier, 20 years earlier, when I interviewed her for a film called Someone Else's Country that Alistair Barry Barry made. And, you know, she was a a very energetic and, and, you know, just had an enormous amount of presence even then. I'd I'd stayed mates with her over the years, and she'd asked me for, you know, to help her out with bits and pieces. And, you know, I liked her. She was good. Didn't know her super well, but... You know, I was really interested in her. She had a presence that was unusual, and I was looking forward to seeing what what was revealed about that when she, you know, entered politics, which seemed mm. like the obvious thing that would happen. But it didn't. I mean, yeah. she was she was dying. Yeah. Um, well, focusing on the last year of her life is quite a sort of heavy topic for the film. Mm. I was wondering, did you want it to be an affirmation of her work, or a memorial, or just a sort of raw look at her last year at sort of campaigning and advocating for workers? It's not a film about dying, it's a film about living. Yeah. You know, I think when, when someone knows that they're dying, it has this enormously focusing effect on their work and on their, on their, their state of mind. And yeah. for her, you know, she was a really busy person all the time and was involved in all sorts of things, but suddenly she knew what was really important and, and the things that she most wanted to finish. When I first talked to her about filming, she wasn't quite sure what she'd do and neither was I, yeah. but I, I was pretty sure it would be interesting for that reason. Uh, and it turned out to be, yeah, very important, I think. And work that she didn't finish, actually, and didn't, and actually wasn't looking very good when she died. Yeah. But has since gone on and, and improved, in particular Pike River. Yeah. Um, the nature of filming itself can be pretty invasive. So I wondered, hmm. were you concerned you wouldn't be able to get a look at the real Helen, as it were? Like it would be a bit staged, or? Um, no, because I knew enough about her to know that she was quite unusual in that respect. She was an extraordinarily present person. She never put on airs for anybody. I never yeah. saw her pretend. And it would be like, you know, from the Prime Minister to, to the person selling her a sandwich at lunchtime, yeah. they all got the same Helen. So I figured I'd get the same one and did. And, you know, she was, she, she was obviously a strong self-advocate and we talked about what it would be and she had her say, but then she decided that she'd reached a point where she trusted me. Yeah. And from that point, um, I, she really never said no. You know, she didn't want me to film her naked, but other than that, it was <laughs> all on. And, and I filmed in places that, at the time... I would have actually found quite hard to explain why it seemed necessary. For example, yeah. her having, 
you know, invasive treatments and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I think when you see the film, you'll see why it was necessary. It tells you something very important yeah. about who she is and, and the quality of her character, which was extraordinary. Um, obviously, throughout that last year, she was doing a lot of campaigning, especially around things like the Pike River, advocating for the families. Uh, how did that influence you, seeing her in her last year of her life still, you know, constantly advocating for workers and other people? Were you influenced by it? Oh, yeah, very much. She had a, an extraordinary generosity, you know, mm. and, and she would, all her energy just flowed straight out for other people. Yeah. Um, she said that it gave her the kind of the meaning and, and the purpose to continue, and I think it did. But, you know, I think that anyone who has any interest in being an activist or just getting involved in their community in any way yeah. will find, we'll find a tremendous amount of inspiration in Helen. You know, her whole character and personality was orientated around her community and her values. Yeah. You know, and her values were very straightforward, and they sound really simple. You know, she believed in justice, and she yeah, believed a in... Go. A fair go. She believed in sticking up for her mates, and, you know, she believed that when she was confident she was right, yeah. then it didn't matter whether everyone agreed or no one agreed. She would go for it, regardless of... Yeah, she was, she was actually opinion. willing to be, um, you know, pilloried in the way that we do yeah. in New Zealand. And to be honest, not many New Zealanders are. All you need yeah. to do is have a room full of people roll their eyes and cross their arms, and most of us will just sit down and shut up. Well, yeah, New Zealand definitely has that whole tall poppy, cutting down people who are doing well or, you know, standing up for things. But it seems like Helen definitely had the opposite. She would keep going. Oh, look, pushing. you know, I, I think that, you know, back in the 1950s, um, when, you know, everyone had to be the same. That was yeah. that was the New Zealand way, a very homogenous time. Yeah. We think that we've completely transformed in a lot of ways and we're very accepting and everything's mm. cool. But I think one area we haven't changed as, as much is that if you have an unpopular point of view, um, you will find that you, you get shut down. Yeah, and you can't discuss it. Yeah. So it's actually quite impressive that she managed to advocate for... I, unpopular look, views. That's well, it's word. funny because, you know, th- I think that that's a fact about New Zealand, but it's not a perception that we have of ourselves. Yes. We're yeah. actually quite cowardly, I think, about standing up for what we believe a lot yeah. of the time. Um, people should go and have a look at Helen and think about it. I, I found it deeply challenging to my own practice and the way that I lived my life, and I'm still trying to figure out the implications of some of who yeah. she was. I mean, for example, she was dying. Mm. She had very limited and, and falling energy, and yet um, she had no boundaries between herself and the people that she was working with. Yeah. They became her friends, very sincerely. They were the ones who came and, along with her family, held her hand and were her, were her people Support who supported her during yeah. her death. You know, that, that's very real. And, and I didn't think you could do that. I, I thought if you were in, in contact with vulnerable people who were in pain, mm. you had to be quite professionally removed. Yeah. You, you don't have to. And, and it's, it's extraordinary how many of us assume we do. Yeah, I guess that's a real testament to her ability to interact with all people from all ranges of life. Yeah, well, you know, um, I said at the beginning I was really drawn to her unusual presence. Yeah. I think specifically what that was, was that when she would speak about anything, it sounded really alive. You know, yeah. it, it sounded like there were people in her stories in her head mm. rather than just ideas. Yeah, so and she that, focused on the, the personal aspects? Well, not that, not that she focused on it, but just that she knew about it. Yeah. You know, it's one thing, like, I mean, I can talk about people die at work and that's bad and obviously yeah. that's bad but if you can actually visualize people that you know that that's happened to it's a whole other thing it really thing. changes the dynamic yeah. of the discussion yeah exactly and and you know i think the what I, my big discovery about helen i discovered quite quickly and i was sad to find it out which is that the reason it sounded like 
you know, she knew these people is because she did know these she people. She went out of her way to... Well, it, she didn't go out of her way. Her life just, just made that happen. She was the sort of person where yeah. it was just her way of... Well, how, how many public figures in New Zealand have friends on the minimum wage? Yeah. You know, Almost and, none, I would I, don't know, I think that's right, of any persuasion. Yeah. I think, Truth be told, I, I think the reason why Helen sounded so unusual is just simply because she had relationships across New Zealand society, and that's nearly unique. Mm. That fact is very disturbing to me. Not about Helen, but about uh, the rest about of us. That we don't have interactions with a whole section of our society. I, I don't think we do. And, you know, I, I guess a lot of people listening are students still, and, yeah. and perhaps it's different when you're a student. But, you know, when you're a lawyer or a doctor, yeah, it, it, it actually starts to get like that. You know, you might interact with people, but they're on the other side of this great professional chasm. Barrier. And you know? the people you're personally interacting with are from your profession as well. Yeah. So highly educated yeah, earning a lot, so it creates a chasm, I guess. And when, and when somebody says to you something like, oh, "Well, ordinary people," dot dot dot, you yeah. know, who that brings to mind is actually an enormously politically powerful thing. Mm. And if, if if most of us only know people who are quite similar to us, then that's the, who the we, society changes. Yeah, that's yeah. who we think is normal, and that's who we think matters. Yeah. So it changes everything about our worldview. You know, if, if I mean, before people make judgments about beneficiaries or about you know people who are ill or about cannabis users or something, yeah. how about knowing some, yeah, and actually not talking bullshit about it? It's it's interesting that that's who we've become as a society. I don't quite know exactly why that's happened, but it seems to be quite strong. So well, that definitely seems a key issue in lots of popular debate right now. Is that people discussing issues which they don't have a personal stake in and they don't know the people yeah. involved with. Yeah, and, and I mean, actually, medical cannabis was a was a great example of that in Helen's life. Yeah. She hadn't had any experience. She wasn't a drug user of any kind, and wasn't you know she was a lawyer. She was actually quite square. Yeah. But um, you know, when she got sick, um, people who she respected and had been sick to suggested she try it. She did, and it worked. Yeah. You know, and from her point of view, that was that she didn't mind breaking the law. She didn't really like it, but she was willing to do it if she thought the law was unjust. Yeah. But suddenly the phone would start ringing and people would say, you know, can I have some? I need some too. How can my husband get some? He's dying of, you know, bowel cancer. Yeah. She couldn't help very many people. And she just couldn't understand the justice of denying that to people who needed it. And I think, I mean, it's it's hard to explain how that's just. Yeah. So, you know, from a very direct first-person point of view, as you see in the film, you know, that's how she saw it. And I think that, that her legitimacy and, and, and in some ways her squareness um, behind that position actually really did help the momentum of this cause in New Zealand. It's probably a big reason why it's on the you know on the, the referendum this time. At yeah. this election. Yeah. Um, well to finish off, I guess what ideas or messages would you like viewers to take from their watching of the film? There's some things in New Zealand that are really, really wrong that most of us who have political and social power don't know anything about because it's outside our life yeah. experience. In particular, we kill an extraordinary number of New Zealanders at work. Yeah. And we just accept it. It has no profile. Even though if you're a New Zealand worker, you are 50% more likely to die at work than an Australian worker, even though their law is the same. Which is a ridiculous statistic. It's, it's twice a week. It's a Pike yeah. River every four months, and it just goes on and on and on. And the reason we don't know more about it is because the people it happens to are usually poor, young, brown men yeah. in the provinces. And, and they don't, they're just not considered important in our culture. And we just don't notice. Yeah. And it's not acceptable. And Helen could just see that immediately. And she was one of the only people who spotted it. I hope in the film I've allowed other people yeah, to cool. see it too and, and get mad about it. Because yeah. we should be mad about it. It's outrageous. Yeah, it is. Um, 
Well, Tony, thank you for joining us. It's been great talking to you. Um, people can see you tonight at Rialto Cinemas. You're doing a 30-minute Q&A Yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there to chat away after the 6 o'clock screening. But the film's showing uh, all around the country. It's yep. on about 30 screens uh, for a little while. So I would really suggest people get along and see it on the big screen. It sort of warrants that. It's quite cinematic, and it's it's quite a, a nice to be immersed in, and it's nice to see it with a community it's a of people. a different experience from a... Yeah, Just, yeah, really it is, I think. And it, it's something that you should see with other people. I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Tony. Um, we've been talking to Tony Sartorius, who's the director of Helen Kelly Together, which is returning to cinemas around New Zealand after a success at the New Zealand International Film Festival. If you're in Dunedin, you can check it out at 6pm tonight at Rialto Cinemas, after which there'll be a 30-minute Q&A. Uh, That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.